You're listening to The Audit, presented by IT Audit Labs. Welcome back to The Audit. We are here today with Matt Starland and Nick Mellum and myself. How are you guys doing today? Doing awesome. Excellent. Awesome. Happy to be here. Yeah. Today is really a continuation of our last episode that we had with Matt Starland, where we talked about the T-Mobile breach and some other security news stories. Um, And I know towards the end of the episode last time, we really got cut off or cut ourselves off because we started to dive really deep into kind of the policy implications and all of the pieces that go into that and could, you know, even lead to prevention of these breaches or why they might not be in place. And so we invited Matt back in to come in here, chat with us a little bit more and, and really take an even deeper dive than we did last time to really just go over you know, potential ways that it could have happened, what you need to do to prevent these types of breaches and, um, you know, common security measures and talk, you know, more of those administrative controls and and policies that you can use to protect environments like this. So Matt, I know at the end of the last episode, I think we cut you off specifically about API security right? And the the T-Mobile breach for those that either didn't listen to the last episode, you know, I would recommend going back, listening to it. But the long and short of the story is that T-Mobile experienced a pretty big breach where the threat actors or the attackers uh, had access to their public API and were able to pull down personally identifiable information of over 3 million? Yeah, 37. 37 million. Uh, T-Mobile customers, uh, you know, not social security numbers or necessarily really protected information, but enough that's phone numbers, number of lines on the account, address, things like that. Uh, and they were able to conduct this breach by uh, using the the API over the course of like a month and a half and were able to, you know, exfiltrate all of this data out of T-Mobile servers. So uh, we were getting into when we cut ourselves off, just talking about you know, some of those API public connections and that new kind of cloud infrastructure and how that changing landscape from this on-premises environment to these, you know, more cloud-connected, interconnected environments um, and how the security and the policies and the administrative changes need to be different in order to, you know, better secure this type of data. So any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, yeah, going back to like what you're saying when we talked last time, you know, we really talked at the high level of, you know, administrative controls, um, just company policy procedures. And even the one thing like I like to pitch a lot to some of my fellow IS uh, colleagues is like least privilege access. And so what does that now look like from the technical perspective of, you know, this API? So when I start to look through or think through this process of, well, you know, how, how would somebody connect to T-Mobile's API? Well, are they sitting there sniffing the, you know, the connection, trying to decrypt it? Well, highly unlikely, you know, a lot of those types of connections are using pretty high-end uh, TLS uh, encryption um, ciphers. You know, you're using like TLS 1.2, 1.3, something like that. And I mean, the, the, the likelihood of them intercepting that and then cracking it is pretty unlikely 
So then I would also then look at the next risk. How did they then gain access? Was it some sort of a, a vulnerability in the API itself? Maybe, you know, being that this is a T-Mobile and you had, it's a high profile company and you got a little bit more um, sophisticated attackers trying to attack that, or is it going back to what I was saying before? Is it a least privilege issue? So let's take a look at, like, for an example here of where you can easily overlook permissions here and somebody could gain access, uh, not when, a, when an organization maybe, like T-Mobile, might have not have followed least privilege. So if you're connecting to, let's say you're using Azure AD as your identity provider, <clears throat> and um, it's also you're using Microsoft 365's uh, resources, SharePoint Online, Teams, Exchange, et cetera. And so now let's just say that some of that data, this customer data was residing in, let's say it was email, for example. So you had a third party of some sort of hosted provider that has an application that they need to integrate into your email system so they can um, you know, schedule meetings, invites, or um, read emails and, and, and show you certain bits of data within your emails to integrate with their application. And so when vendors like that, you know, provide a system administrator or security engineer admin um, details on how to create that integration, they're, the vendor, that third party is just looking at how quickly can we make this an easy, you know, for the organization integrating our app into their system, how, how do we make it as easy as possible? Some of them do look into maybe that least privilege, but it's not always necessarily there. And so they'll give you the easiest permissions that you can get your this integration up and running. So for example, then you're starting to create this app registrations in, into Azure AD. You create either a certificate uh, for it and you provide that third party that certificate or you create the secret key and give to them and then you assign all those permissions within that Azure AD app registration. Well, when you're creating those permissions, um, Microsoft really gives you blanket permissions. For example, one of the the applications I've seen that wants access to email, when you're using those uh, API permissions, it, it just says all mailboxes. So you might be integrating an application that only needs to have access really maybe to 10, 15 users, but the API it just gives a blanket access to all mailboxes. And so when you're looking at that configuration page within Microsoft, they don't give you uh, any configurations right there and then to easily limit that to just what's needed to have access. So now let's just say you give that information back to the vendor host, you know, that, that uh, certificates or that secret key and somebody on that side, disgruntled employee or something gets breached on their system to where wherever that key was stored is now available within either their network or maybe that person download or the malicious actor downloads it to their infrastructure and then tries to make a connection back to that app registration within Azure, well, they have access now to all mailboxes, even though that app might have been only designed to be really needed, used by 10 mailboxes. So that's an example right there. So of how that would be overprivileged 
And where Microsoft out the gates does not give you something right at that configuration console, an easy way to just limit that permission. So this is where as being a security architect engineer, when you're looking at some of these requests coming in, assuming it's even coming to you and or maybe it's another way of educating the other team that is integrating these is what they need to you know look out for, ask the questions like, well, who is this all being used by? And that seems a little bit overkill that we're adding this to the entire organization's mailboxes versus just 10. And then doing some more research to see is there other things out there that Microsoft provides to limit this? Because in my experience working with some of their Exchange Online platforms, if you're just going based off of the GUI, really the GUI only gives you about 50% of what you can actually configure and control. The rest is all being done behind the scenes using PowerShell. And so in this instance here, this example we're talking about, you know, using this Azure app registration, that's what you actually need to do. You got to do a little digging and you'll find a TechNet article out there that talks about how to create um, like a policy and then tie that policy to a group of users. And that policy then can connect to this Azure app registration. So when that vendor is making a connection, and they are scanning or trying to connect to mailboxes that are maybe relevant to that, the identities that you've added to the security group that they're supposed to have access to, it'll work just fine. But if they were trying to access another identity that's not in that security group that you created via PowerShell and that policy and tied it to the app registration, it gets denied. So that's one way to look at you know limiting that. But the other one is too is a conditional access policy. So. So for the example I gave is that, you know, let's just say that that vendor third party was breached and those credentials were then offloaded to wherever that threat actor is coming from. And then that threat actor is trying to make a, a connection back to um, that customer, you know, T-Mobile's environment that got breached. Um, if T-Mobile, for example, had that conditional access policy, not saying that they use Azure AD or using conditional access policies, but just let's just say they used that in that instance and they said, all right, we're going to only allow connections to this app registration from the IP address that is associated with this vendor third party. So that way, if that threat actor is trying to now come from another connection, boom, it's getting denied, but also maybe their SOC team um, um, or their security engineers could be putting in, you know, uh, monitoring too that says, hey, anything that's coming not from this location also, you know, create an alert because then that's going to also give us an idea that these credentials have been compromised and are being used somewhere else. Or, I mean, it could be a, a you know, app dev person too testing some things and or they forgot to give an IP address, but at least somebody on the T-Mobile side would be getting an alert to question on whether or not why why this connection is coming from something that we were saying it's only allowed from. So, you know, from the technical aspect, I think that's kind of, to me, that's easier breaching these is just finding that least privilege um, and just use using passwords. Um, I, I know, Kyle, you, you've got a little bit more red teaming um, experience and in, 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 in specialty than I do. I, I sit more on that blue team architecture side of the world have you dealt with um, trying to compromise APIs or, um, you know, kind of like uh, AWS S3 buckets or um, 
Azure blob storage before? Yeah. Um, APIs are an interesting one that I haven't touched a whole lot, right? And I guess for anyone listening that doesn't necessarily know what an API is, is it's essentially a program that's running on a server somewhere that's waiting for a specially crafted internet packet to be sent to it. That packet usually is protected by sometimes a username and a secret, right? So a lot of times if, if you want access to the, to the API, you have to sign up for the website or pay for the service. And then when you sign into your account, they'll give you a secret key that you include as part of that request to that web server, and then it returns you the information. So you have to tell it, you know, what you're looking for, and then say, hey, this is also my secret key. You know, I'm authorized to get this information. Um, so I, I do have maybe some questions for you on that. But yeah, as far as like attacking cloud infrastructure, right, from a red team side of things, it's kind of the new frontier in penetration testing as more stuff gets put out there as more expensive stuff gets put out there and is secured there and is is held there uh, it just becomes a bigger and bigger target and people find more vulnerabilities um, you know amazon specifically there's a lot of nice attacks because they have this whole cli environment where you can play around with you know the amazon aws uh, command line interface and interact with your s3 subscription or interact with the buckets and the storages um, and a lot of ways that those buckets are accessed is through like a subscription ID, essentially. And so a lot of times what, what the red teamers and attackers are finding is that, you know, there's an image that's stored in an Amazon S3 bucket that's visible on a web page. You, you know, you right click on that, you say view the source, it leads you to a URL for an Amazon S3 bucket. You go back to your Amazon CLI and you start digging into, well, whose subscription is this? What subscription does this belong to, right? And then start enumerating and figuring out, well, is this the only file in this bucket? Do they follow a standard naming convention? Can I get to a higher level bucket from where this one is? And a lot of times there's there's two different permission levels on these cloud buckets that, that are there. So you may have you know, the general cloud bucket that says, yep, anyone can access these, and then specific users can access this bucket. Well, in a normal Windows environment, there's those kind of parent-child inheritance properties of files and folders. If you give someone access to like a, a deeper folder structure, usually they also get the permission that they need that kind of trickles up to the, the top of the domain where they last had access. S3 buckets aren't the same in that you could have a totally locked down, you know, bucket holder, but then a specific bucket in there could be open, and that doesn't allow access to the the wider range of buckets, right? And it also works kind of vice versa, where you could leave the entire structure open and lock down another bucket, and uh, you know, none of it's inherited between the two. So it's it's a totally different concept, and I think that's a big problem with a lot of these cloud infrastructures is that I think we mentioned it on the last episode where it's not just I physically plug this server into this network port and I know the data is flowing there, right? These cloud infrastructures do things in a different way that most computer people aren't used to thinking about. Sure. Because it kind of breaks the standards on how things have functioned in like operating systems for years. 
and they do things a little bit differently and they do it well. It's just people aren't always thinking, you know, they think it's a one to one comparison. The security doesn't always match up on that. Um, right. But, uh, you know, like, so I just want to interrupt here. So, for example, like this, the API, you know, that let's just say it is kind of similar to what I was talking about, like that Azure AD integration or whatever app, app registration from a like that red team perspective. That doesn't seem like something that you can just sit here and, and just crack away at it to try and figure out like some buffer overflow, cross-site scripting type stuff, SQL injection. This is, you know, a lot of these are, they've got quite the security on them from those types of, I, I, I realize I'm using those examples and they might, they might not work in that particular situation, but the point I'm kind of trying to get at, it doesn't seem like it's something you can trick the interface into giving you access at least that's what i would kind of garner from you know kind of my experience in seeing this is that what you've seen too you know like the i mean the, they if this is again a microsoft infrastructure we'll just say again using them as an example you know they put a lot of security at that front end um to just gain access to it from just you know tricking that system into giving you credentials do you think it could have been something like that or do you think it's no they they somehow got those credentials some form or another they're the access um and then just logged in well nick and matt matt thanks again for joining us here on the audit yeah definitely um, a pleasure yeah yeah it's always a good good thing to have you on here um, for those listening, uh, feel free to check us out at itauditlabs.com. Uh, if you want to find more of us, you can always find our social links there. Uh, we're on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, you know, you name it. We'll probably have a, a, a thing there. And if you want to pull down the podcast, you know, wherever you can listen to them, but you can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much any other app that you can find out there on Android. Homing pigeons, for being. smoke signals, you got it. <laughs> signal. Going off the grid. Yep. yep. All right. Thanks, thanks guys. guys. Bye. In the current technology landscape, managing risk, among other operations, can be incredibly challenging. Let IT Audit Labs experts provide a detailed, thorough examination in preparation for your upcoming audit. Contact us to learn more.